Welcome to the Entrepreneur's Visiting Victor podcast with Victor Dadaj, where you'll hear stories and strategies to help increase your sales and grow your business. Here's your host, Victor Dadaj. All right, welcome to Entrepreneur's Visiting Victor. I'm your host, Victor Dadaj. I hope you're having an amazing day so far. Today, we have an awesome guest. He is a cash flow expert and the anti-financial advisor. He is a leading authority teaching entrepreneurs and professionals how to get their money working for them today. He is an author, podcast host of the Money Ripples podcast, and has been featured in U.S. News, CNN Money, Entrepreneurs on Fire, Bigger Pockets, and has a proven reputation with his company, Money Ripples, getting his clients' financial results. In fact, his personal clients have increased their cash flow by over $300 million in the last 13 years. So let's welcome Chris Miles. How are you doing today, Chris? Man, I'm awesome, Victor. Thanks for having me on today. Uh, it's great to have you on, Chris. So I'd like to get started by asking you to please share your story. How did you wind up becoming an entrepreneur? <laughs> not intentionally. Um, but I'll tell you, it was a little bit of inspiration from what not to do as a kid. Because uh, I was raised by parents. My mom was more of an entrepreneur, but she was more the starving artist, you know, trained by the same master painter that trained Bob Ross, right? Um, she was doing that. And my dad was the, all about the secure job. He was also the the miserly, penny-pinching kind of guy, right? The saver. So I was like, hey, money doesn't grow on trees. We can't afford this. What do you think I am? Made of money? You know, those kind of things that come out. And I remember him even talking about how he worked until he would die. He's like, work will literally kill me. Because by his 40s, he'd already had strokes and heart attacks. So I knew I didn't want that kind of life. So I, so I went to college. And then while I was at college, I realized I wanted to kind of take the path of becoming a business consultant. But while I was, I was about to finish my bachelor's, I said, well, if I want to be a business consultant, shouldn't I have real life business experience, not just theory or just get an MBA and look great on, on, a, on a degree, but nothing in real life. So I actually took a break from college with one class to go to get my bachelor's, dropped out. And I said, all right, let's take this one year sabbatical. What do I do? And the first business that came up for me was becoming like the traditional mainstream salesman in a suit, AKA financial advisor, right? And uh, and I started doing that business and it was 100% commission only, purely, uh, no, no base pay, nothing like that. I was purely an entrepreneur. And I loved it because I loved the fact that I could have a control of my own destiny, my time, you know, my freedom and things like that, my own income. Like I wanted to be able to make whatever I wanted to make. And so I actually never went back to college. I stayed dropped out, never went back. And uh, and started going down that path. Okay, now thanks for sharing that. So, um, your mom was a starving artist. Your dad was uh, was the guy who was was a saver. He wanted to secure a job. He said the he worked till he died, and he had some heart attacks and strokes. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of the dad in Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Is that was yeah. you know, similar? Just save the money, go to college, get a good job, and just work. You know, till you retire, till you die. And then you went to college to become a business consultant. And then uh, you realized maybe I should get some experience. And then you went, you took a one-year sabbatical, you became a financial advisor. You figured I could control my destiny, control my income. And you really liked it. And as a result, you never went back. So uh, you never did wind up becoming that type of business so you wanted to. So tell us a little more. So after you got that job as a financial advisor, and I'll get later on, I want to ask you about the anti-financial advice, but I know it's coming down the road. You know, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But tell me, how long did you stay there and um, where did your career go from there? Yeah, I was actually a financial advisor for four years. And 
for me, like that tipping point actually happened. I mean, I, I got to the point where I did all right, but I mean, I wasn't like raking in the dough or anything like that. I mean, it was, it was a hard, long business, especially because everything we taught was out of scarcity. And, and I didn't know at the time, I didn't know the difference between abundance and scarcity mentality. And so that scarcity mentality actually made business harder, but you know, I started to master it. I started to get good at what I was doing. And then, uh, I remember right towards the end there, my dad actually called me up and said, Chris, when you become my financial advisor. And I never thought he would ask me for advice because he was always the guy telling me what to do as a kid. Right. He's telling me to change his diapers or he's telling, you know, having me change my diapers or he's changing them for me. But now he's asking me to help him with his, his money. And so I sat down with him and he opened up his books for the first time in my life. He never talked about money other than he didn't have any is what he always said. Right. Um, he, even with college, he's like, good luck. You're on your own. I'm not paying for it. You know, so I, I moved out when I was, you know, 17, almost 18, going to college and trying to pay for my own way. Well, I sit down and look at his finances and he had, you know, he had saved, you know, just packed money to his 401k, you know, his retirement plan. He had paid off all of his debt, including his house. He was debt free after just 18 years. Very proud of what he did there. But when I looked at that, I said, dad, you're 61 years old. If you want to retire today, you better hope you die in five years because that's how long it's going to be before your money runs out based on how you're just normal living expenses. He said, well, that's not what I want. What else can I do? And I said, I don't know because you did everything right. Everything that we taught as financial advisors, you did it all. And I, I don't know what to tell you because I could try to throw you in this program, but you could lose your money in the market. You know, you could go in this thing, but you may not make enough money. And so I was like, I don't know. I really don't know what to do. And it bugged me so badly. And it, cause I realized this, remember, I, I didn't want to follow the same path as my dad, but when I started looking at my own life, I was on the same path as my dad. I was stuffing money into my mutual funds, right? I was trying to, you know, see if I could save up, you know, you know, be cheap enough in my life, turn off the AC in the summer, turn off the, the heat in the winter, save a few bucks. so I can stuff all that money away and, you know, make my family suffer so that maybe by the time I'm 40, I might be able to retire living on 50,000, 60,000 a year. That wasn't, but I saw my future was in my dad, right? I saw what was getting that same path. And I was realizing this isn't working. And then it became even more apparent when one of my friends, I trained to be a financial advisor, left to go do real estate investing. He was raking in the dough with him and his dad. And, uh, and remember we got in this, this conversation. My friend just asked me, he said, Chris, how many of your clients are truly financially free where they don't worry about money? And he got me to the last little part there because- um, the truth is, even if they're retired, everybody's always worried about outliving their money, running out of money before they die. And so I said, none. I said, well, good job, Chris. Way to go. Well, how about this? Chris, how many of you guys as financial advisors, because if anybody has this figured out, it's you. How many of you guys as financial advisors are financially free, not off the commissions that you're earning, but actually doing these investments you've been recommending to your clients? And when I realized that there's guys in my office, and this was 2005 going on 2006, I'm looking around the office. There's guys that have been working there since the late 1970s and they still couldn't retire. I realized that he got me and that there was something wrong with that. And so it led me down a different path. If you were use matrix terms, I took the red pill, right? And I started to see what his world was like with passive income and, and real estate and things like that to the point where I realized I had an integrity crisis. And I think this can happen to a lot of people in business from time to time. When you start to realize that the business you're in no longer serves you, or maybe it's just something that you just can't sell anymore because you can't sell out of integrity. 
that's what happened to me. I realized that I couldn't, I could either put blinders on and just keep focusing on, on building my practice or two, I leave and keep my integrity intact. And I chose the latter. So I quit at the height of my practice. I quit left. I vowed never to teach about money again. And I just said, I'll, I'll be a mortgage broker and uh, I'll even teach ballroom dancing on the side, you know, things like that. And that's what I started doing while I was learning how to create more passive income, which crazy enough, um, after I pretty much shut down my business, other than, you know, my mortgage business, the crazy thing is I was actually able to retire when I was 28, almost 29 years old later that, that year in 2006, um, all because I stopped focusing on trying to accumulate money and instead focus on creating multiple streams of passive income. That right there was my secret uh, for getting out of the rat race, just like Kiyosaki talks about all the time, but I actually lived it and got to see it firsthand. Definitely some good stuff there. And, um, you know, thanks for sharing that story, you know, about you and your dad. Like your dad came to you to be his financial advisor work. He had done everything right. He saved money, put money away. He was debt free. But at 61, you told him that uh, he better die in five years because that's when his money would run out. And at the time, you didn't even know how you could advise him to make more money so he could live comfortably on on, on his retirement. And that um, and that body, it also, you came to realize, kind of like in the song Cats in the Cradle, you were just like your dad. So he, you'd been just like him. So you, you'd, you'd follow the same path, doing the same thing, saving, putting money away, mutual funds, stuff like that. And then you were, you know, I, I think... You came to realization when your friend uh, who went into real estate started making really good money. He was asking you about how, you know, you know about financial freedom of yourself, of of, of your clients, of other financial advisors, and you, and it, and you really came to this realization that you know a lot of these financial advisors have been working there for like forty years and they were still doing it, nothing had changed, and you came to realization number one that uh, you had to do something different and that you can no longer serve with integrity in this in this profession. And, um, you know, it didn't serve you, it didn't serve your clients, you had to do something different. And you were looking for something that would give you passive income. And uh, you went, you became a mortgage broker, you developed various multiple streams of passive income. And uh, I think the average rich person has like seven of them, if I remember correctly. And mm -hmm. as a result, you were able to retire for a really short period of time, you're like 28 or 29, 2006, when you retired, which is like 35 years ahead of 98 percent of the population so uh you know that 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 that's uh pretty cool so uh so it was basically the passive streams of income now there's a lot of people who hear about it and they're interested in saying, I, I want passive streams because i can do money you know you know but you know invest in it you know and not have to do much work i get it passively could you you know you know i i think there are some people listening who are not aware of what exactly passive income is so could you talk a little bit what it actually is yeah exactly and and i talk about passive income i really mean it's got to be passive right now it doesn't mean that you're just completely you do nothing you can turn your brain off and money just kind of comes in because you still have to be a wise steward of your money and what you do with it so it is a brain on type of thing that you're doing but the difference is this, that passive income is money that's coming in, whether you work or not. For example, if someone gets a rental property and, you know, a renter's in that property and they're paying not just, you know, their rent, but that rent covers your mortgage and all your other expenses to the point where you even get extra money left over, that extra cash that's coming in is passive, right? I mean, it's one, it's literally passive from an accountant perspective, but it's also passive because that money is coming in day in, day out without you having to be there. 
Now, some people will say, yeah, but Chris, is it really because, you know, if, if you have to deal with the tenants and all this stuff? I'm like, well, there are ways to buy real estate where you don't have to deal with tenants. For example, I've got real estate properties all over the country, not in Utah, because I don't buy anything in the Western half of the US right now because it's over, you know, it's overvalued right now. But over out east, like in the southeast, the Midwest, I can buy properties for cheaper and make more money on that. And I can even have a property manager do all the work for me. So I'm hands off, right? I still have to manage the property manager. So that can be work from time to time. But day in and day out, I, I don't even remember the property. Often, most of the time I hear about the properties because the check came in. You know, That's what I mean by passive income is that checks are coming in without you having to work day in and day out. Like You're not exchanging time for dollars. All right, and that, and that makes sense. And thanks for explaining that. Uh, basically, and it's a good reminder, it doesn't mean you don't do any work. You still have to be a wise steward for your money. You should check from time to time. And you have the great example of having rental income property. You know, it's, you know the rent's going to pay for the mortgage for all the expenses. And then whatever's left over is your profit. And you get that every single month. And, and if you don't want to be really actively involved, you, you gave an example how you have properties, you know, in different parts of the country, you have a property manager managing that for you. So the property manager takes care of everything for you. All you need to do is manage the manager, which is a lot less work than managing all those different properties you have across the country. And you get, and, and you, you say, a lot of times you didn't remember the the property because you have a whole bunch and you just, you just get a check every month. You're like, Oh yeah, that's the property I have in that state. So uh, definitely some good stuff. So I would guess the anti-financial advisor that you were talking about is, uh, is similar to the things we're talking about focusing on uh, stuff like passive income and not, you know, and serving people with integrity. So that's the kind of thing you talk about when you talk about anti-financial advisors. Is that correct? Or is there something a little bit different? Exactly. Yeah. And financial advisors are all about spend nothing, save everything, sacrifice, suffer, and just suck your entire life away to put money away, right? And just lock it away into prison where that's more of the accumulation theory. I talk more about income coming in, right? How do we get your money to work harder for you? How do you get your money to essentially be like your employees working out there working for you so that you don't have to work so hard for it? So that's the difference is that how do we take that money and actually turn it into actual income versus just set it and forget it, as they often will say, and then you just have to ride all the crazy waves. And by the way, if you're a business owner, I think it's completely stupid that you go and invest in other people's companies and not your own, right? Like someone's like, oh, I want to buy some Tesla stock. Well, why not put a little bit more focus in your own business and get that profit up? Because you put your little extra few dollars in a Tesla, you can't do anything about it. You're helpless. You just hope that Elon doesn't go nuts because he's lack, you know, his lack of sleep and everything, right? But for you, you can actually put money and effort into your business and get awesome returns, way better than what a Tesla could do. So in my opinion, if you're a business owner, an entrepreneur, investing in the stock market is completely out of alignment. Is you should be investing in you first and then invest in other multiple streams of income that actually help you stabilize yourself as a business owner. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think a lot of people that are business owners, like when they get profits, they go spend on other things, invest in other things. But the smart business owners at, at least uh, invest a part of that profit back into the business. So you need to decide how much you, you want to invest back, whether it's 20%, 40%, whatever. But if you don't invest any of it back into your business, yeah, you're doing yourself a big disservice and you're going to be hurting your business in the long run. So I agree. 
try to invest some of that money back into your business. It's the best investment you can make. It doesn't mean you can't invest into other things as well because you, you know, gave some examples. So I totally agree with you uh, about that. And you mentioned the stock market. Now, um, you know, for those that are, uh, you know, planning their retirement, um, yeah, and it, and it, we, you could talk about different ages, maybe twenties uh, and thirties versus uh, those in their fifties and early sixties. Um, mm-hmm. Should they avoid banking on the stock market for re- uh, re- retirement? I kind of have an idea what you're going to say, but and if so, why should they avoid it? Yeah, I mean, if you know, I can't give legal investment advice, but uh, for the most part, I avoid it, and so do a lot of my clients. And the reason why we avoid the stock market is for one reason: is that it's high risk mediocre returns. For example, the, the S&P 500, which is considered the gold standard of investing, right? But just so you know, most mutual funds that you buy with a financial advisor don't even do as well as the stock market. 90% of them actually do worse than the stock market average. So a lot of people nowadays are starting to say, well, just buy that S&P 500 index, you know, and just invest in that. And then you're quote unquote diversified. Well, the problem is the S&P 500 in the last 30 years has only given an actual return of 7.75%. It's been really just a crappy return. Um, that's barely just about where inflation is and the real inflation, not the one the government tells you, right? And so, you know, when you have that kind of issue going on, you're like, well, that's not going to make do much for me. And, pl- and that's the average because there's up years and there's down years. What if you're about to retire and then it goes into those down years? That's what happened to my dad, right? Because- yeah, right when I met with him, it was right after Y2K. So Y2K kicked his butt. I'm lucky I didn't tell him to put more money in the stock market because after that, we had the Great Recession, which would have kicked his butt again. Do you know it took most people 15 years from 2000 to 2015 just to get back to where they were money-wise, but they still lost because inflation had doubled over that period of time. So people lost half their money by having the stock market between 2000 and 2015. It's only recently people are like, oh, cool, I made my money back after 20 years you know, giving inflation, and everything else. So that's the, that's the problem. That's the risk that I see happening right now. Um, and so that's the thing. It, it's just not enough to move the needle. It's a lot of risk take without, with having more failure, which is why um, people aren't succeeding. That's why none of my clients were able to retire or financial advisors. Uh, even recently I, I looked at Fidelity, you know, Fidelity ha- is the number one 401k manager. They have 46 million clients. Guess how many of those clients have over a million dollars in their 401k? 299,000. You do the math, that means there's only about two thirds of 1%. It's less than 1% of people have over a million dollars in that 401k, even after decades of saving. And even then, um, they, there's another study by Transamerica where they, they ask people if they felt ready for retirement, those or, or if they think they'll be able to retire, those had over a million bucks. So that same group of people, the less than 1%. And of that group of people, over one third of them said it will take, quote unquote, a miracle to be able to retire. So think about it. That means that less than a half a percent of people actually think they're going to be able to retire. Less than one half of 1%. That's one out of 200 people. That's a, if this, if this were your business, think about it. If this were your business and you, you had a client success rate of 0.5%, do you think you would be in business very long? If you had if you had a customer satisfaction rate of 0.5%, only one out of 200 customers gave you a five-star review, do you think you'd be in business very long? 
No, but financial advisors, because there's so much money involved, they keep pumping it in, teaching more. Well, the financial institutions are paying the financial advisors to then teach you. And they pay the Susie Ormans. They pay the Dave Ramseys. They pay all the people in the media to teach you this kind of crap. And it just doesn't work. That's why I think it's a, it's just a, it's a crappy strategy to use. It just, it's just ineffective and has been proven not to work. Yeah. And you definitely, uh, definitely made some very good points there, with, which I like to, uh, go over uh yeah you mentioned the fact that um stock market very often is high risk and mediocre returns the s p 500 index over the 30 years has returned 7.75 percent and that's around the rate of inflation so it really hasn't made any money and you also mentioned the fact that the returns could be volatile you might have a 13 percent return one year and then you could be down seven percent that that year and if you're 65 years old you, you don't want to lose 10 percent that year because that's uh, that's really going to sting you and you also mentioned the fact that you know over 90 percent of mutual funds they underperform so they're underperforming plus they're charging you a high fee to manage that mutual fund which is why those that mm -hmm. do invest you know I mean, the one good thing about the index funds, you're paying a much smaller fee. So um, you're going to do it. You're, you won't get hit as bad as the mutual funds. And the other thing is, when people put money into 401ks, a lot, what a lot of people don't realize about 401ks is there's a lot of hidden fees in there that you don't know. So you're you're not getting the return yeah. you thought you would get. And that thing compounds over the years. So you lose a lot in return over the years. And and I, frankly, I would, I would, this is my opinion. I'm not a financial advisor, so I'm not getting financial but I always thought that if you know if you, if your job's over your four hundred one k, I would I would only really put it in if they were matching. So at least you're getting some free money. So you you put in three thousand, they match two thousand or you know, fifteen hundred or whatever they match total. And then it might be worth it because you're getting some free money. Free money. But if they're not matching at all, I would be hesitant to put in it for the reasons you 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 mentioned. And you know again. Um, you gave the fact that from 2000 to 2015, those are the lowest in 2000. It took them 15 years to get that money back on the average. Plus, they still lost because of the inflation that occurred over those 15 years. So, you know, uh, and then you gave the example of, of Fidelity. You know, only like you know, less than 1% have $1 million in their 401k. And, you know, only, only they think they can retire. So, uh, you know, that is scary. Uh, it's, and, and, and when you're talking about financial, it made, made me think of something this uh, business coach called T. Hob Record talked about. He says, you know, he, he's, you know, seven-figure earnest. So you go to these guys and, and you know, he, he wasn't impressed with the financial advisor. He says, I want to see your your W-2 saying, what did you make last year? And they were afraid to say it. Because so, you're telling me how to spend millions of dollars, how to invest millions of dollars, but have you made millions of dollars? And, of course, none of them wanted to show it because, you know, they were not making that that great money. So he says, I, I want I want I want someone who's made millions of dollars to manage my account. And if you're not doing it, I'm going somewhere else, which I think makes a lot of sense. So uh, and I think well, I, I wouldn't say someone who makes millions of dollars, but those that actually here, here's, here's clients, the problem, yeah. right? Because because okay. uh, think about the this is the same problem I see even outside of financial advisors, right? Because someone that looks at somebody and say, you know what? You seem successful. Like, I know you made lots of money. Maybe it's somebody that you grew up around as a kid. They were a neighbor or a family member, like an uncle, that rich uncle or something. And you're like, you know what? They make the most money that I've seen. I'm going to ask them for financial advice. The problem with that is, is that there's a difference between someone who knows how to grow their money and someone who knows how to make money. So, uh, so like you're saying with that example, T.R. Becker, and I, I love a lot of T.R. Becker stuff. So don't get me wrong here, but just to kind of uh, bring some context to that. You know, if he looks at financial advisor says, well, show me your W2 income. Well, that financial advisor, if he's a good salesperson, not a good investor, but a good salesperson, you'll have great income. But 
a good investor, that's a different story, right? That's a very different skill set than making money. It's how do you invest money? How do you actually get it to work for you and grow? That is what I would look for when you're looking for somebody to help mentor you or guide you along that path. That I think is key. So beware, because I'll tell you, I, I once a year, I actually go to a traditional financial advisor, like small steady group. Everybody in that group makes millions a year, right? So all of us there, I'm the one guy in shorts and a t-shirt. There's guys from like Manhattan that always wear suits, always button up. Doesn't matter if it's hundred degrees outside, they will wear that button up suit. Like it's a badge of honor, right? And then they tell me how they, they're jealous that I can actually wear shorts. So they'll pick fun at me. But uh, I'll tell you, like it, it, just this last meeting, one of those guys from New York came up to me and, and it, this happens every year. He came up to me, he's like, hey, Chris, can, can you teach me how to retire like what you just did? Because I don't know how to do that. These are retirement advisors that are asking me, hey, how were you able to retire? Because they can't do it. They can make millions, but and they can stuff the money in their, their mutual funds, but they know the math. They know that the math doesn't work well. So they have, to, they have to either overdo it by make a lot of money, pack a lot of money away, and then they could be free by having over $10 million saved up, which is really hard to do in a mutual fund or dev impossible doing your 401ks and IRAs. Um, but that's what they try to do. Right. Speaking of 401ks, you mentioned the match, right? Did you know the match when you look at it long-term, even if it's a hundred percent match only adds about 2% a year on your return. But here's this crazy fidelity. Um, fidelity came out with their numbers recently where I was, I was looking up the stats on their funds performance, the funds that most people pick, which are those target date retirement funds, you know, those funds that say you retire in 2040 or 2055, 2060, you know, those kind of funds. Most millennials, by the way, are picking those funds right now. About 84% of them are. Well, guess what? Those funds did over 2% worse than the stock market. So even if you get that match, guess what? If you're lucky, you might actually still only make what the stock market did. So that's the thing. Like now, the only time I've seen the match work with 401k is someone's 60 years old right now, like they're over the age of 59 and a half. You can do what's called in-service distributions where you can pull money out. You have to pay tax on it, but you can pull money out while you're still working for that employer. If you're a business owner and you're doing that too, oh my goodness, you could possibly, if you put that in your business, now you're getting a tax write-off. You avoid taxes essentially, kind of you know, wash them out, cancel each other out. But you can pull that money out. So the cool thing is, if you're 60 years old, you can say, listen, I'm going to put that money in, get the match, and then go and immediately pull that money out. You just made, in that case, 100% rate of return if you got a 100% match or 50% return if you got a 50% match. So the cool thing is you can actually get that money out, and then you can go invest in other places that are better than the stock market. That's the one time, the one strategy I say, you know what? This 401k could work for you. Other than that, though, I, I would even use them. I know. I was unaware of that. I didn't realize you had such a low return, even with a hundred percent match. I would, I would have thought it would have been higher, but obviously, you know the numbers. So, uh, something to keep in mind. So, it's best if you're over fifty nine and a half, and then you can you know, get that match and then take it out and then invest it somewhere else. Better, you can get a better return. So, that's a great piece of advice for those who are you know near retirement age. So, uh, definitely some good stuff. So. You know, you know, you mentioned the summer, obviously not a good place. A lot of the indices are not a good place to uh, invest. Or what are some things you think might be a good place for people to to invest? Yeah, if you're an entrepreneur or business owner, I think the best thing you can do is find ways to create two types of income. There's passive income, like we we're talking about with investment income, and then there's residual income. And I, I separate those because passive income I use, I call investment income, right? 
residual income is, is essentially like passive income in your business. So be looking for ways to create multiple streams of income within your own business. You know, could you be doing something that has a monthly membership to it that maybe it doesn't require you to be constantly being babysitting something all the time. Maybe it's more of a membership or subscription-based type of service. This is why Netflix valuations through the roof, um, not because they make a ton in, in, in revenue, although they do, um, but the valuation is because they have the subscription. They have that residual income coming in, whether people use their service or not. It's like a gym membership, right? Somebody will pay. I was just thinking about this morning when I was working out outside in the summertime and springtime and some of the fall, I don't go to the gym because I work out outside, but I'm still paying that membership, right? They're, they're making money on me, whether I go in the gym or not. So look for things like that. Look for intellectual property you can do within your business. Are there things you can do where you can create digital products? You know, can you create digital videos, audios, books, whatever it might be within that business, trainings, things like that, that then you can sell, but you only had to work on it one time. So you made it one time and then you were able to reproduce that, sell it online. And then that brings in streams of income without you having to keep, you know, working hard for it. You don't have to keep teaching that thing every time or, you know, or, or offering that, that, that intellectual property every time it's already there. You just have to give people access to it. Look for those kinds of streams of income to help diversify your business. So you're not always having to, you know, basically hunt what you eat, right. Or eat what you hunt. You're not always out there constantly just making, you know, always trying to make that transaction, make that sale. That's where business owners get stuck in their own rat race. Even though you have all the freedom to do what you want, you're your own boss. I've seen many, many business owners, they get stuck in a rat race of their own, even when they make millions of dollars. I have lots of friends this way where they make great money. And from the outside, it looks great. You know, social media, you see them going on trips, traveling all over the world. You see them with nice cars and everything. But I've talked to them in the, you know, privately, right? I've seen what happens in the back end and what's going on in the back of their mind. They're, the thing they're always thinking is, how long do I have to keep doing this? How long do I have to keep struggling? How do I, how long do I have to keep, you know, essentially hustling, right? How do I get out of that hustle mode and start moving into something where I can actually have freedom, time freedom, especially not just the money freedom, but the, the money freedom to buy time freedom. That's the thing that business owners usually miss. That's why, and you said this earlier, reinvesting your business isn't always a good thing, right? I'm like, it's good, but you said invest some of your profits back in, not all of it. Most of the entrepreneurs just get stuck on, hey, I got to reinvest everything back in my business and grow the business. Who cares if you have a $10 million a year business, if you can't, if your assistant, your, your secretary or whoever gets paid more than you do, <laughs> that's not the way a life of a CEO should be. So bring more profit home from your business, create streams of income there, and then bring that profit home and then use that to go create passive streams of income and investments. That's how you do it. That's how you create real freedom from your business where you work because you want to, not because you have to you become work optional, even in your own business. And I'll mm -hmm. tell you from my experience, if your business owner wants to make more money more easily in your business. Just set up multiple streams of income outside of your business and you'll relax. And as a result, people will want to do more business with you. Because uh, I, I don't know if you ever noticed this, Victor, have you ever noticed that when you're, you know, desperate for money, or maybe it's a really slow month. You ever notice that you almost have to work harder for that business than when you have a great month, everybody's paying you. It almost seems like when everybody pays you, they all want to pay you at the same time. Have you ever noticed it's like feast or famine? Have you ever experienced that? A lot of times that can be controlled. You can stabilize it. 
by getting yourself in a position where you know with every customer or every client or potential client you meet, you know you don't need their money because you've already got income streams coming in from your investments to pay for your lifestyle, to pay for your life, your bills at home. And then you show up at work and you do it because you want to, not because you have to. You step in, in a, such a place of power that people want to do business with you. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. You make some really good points. And you're right. It's like peace of fam. It's like, uh, it always seems like when everything's going well, all the money's coming in, you, you don't have to work hard for money. But when it's like, uh, it's tough, you like got to work really hard for the money. It's kind of hard to get it. And uh, and it's interesting because when you're struggling, if you need to get some cash flow, it's kind of hard. The banks are reluctant to lend you the money. But when you have the money coming in, you really don't need it. That's when they reach out. Hey, you want, we're willing to you know, lend you money. Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't need it now. I need it six months ago. It, it, it doesn't work that way very often. So, and you gave some great examples of passive income, like, you know, like monthly subscription, you know, for certain things. If you have a, a teaching program, a coaching program, you charge a certain amount every month. If people keep buying it every month they, you know, for that program, you create the program once day and they pay it on a, on a monthly basis. You have to come in. You think, you know, in terms of having those kind of things come in a monthly basis. There are many other examples, you know, people that can never market and they get, you know, monthly income from the business every single month. That's residual. So there are many different forms of residual income that uh, you can definitely create. And, and you also mentioned that a lot of uh, guys are working really hard and they may have some good, but they don't have that lot. So they're working a lot of, very hard long hours the problem is you're a successful doctor or a lawyer and you're putting in 80 hours a week 100 hours a week and here's the thing if you get hurt you get in an accident you can't replace that income but if you're able to create those different uh various streams of passive income those multiple streams we're talking about like even if you're laid off for five six months you still have those other streams coming in so you don't have to worry about it some of those uh business owners have those concerns because they're like what happens to me if i you know if i'm uh i, I out of commission for three months, then, you know, where's that money coming? But if you have those uh, past the streams of income, those multiple streams, you can relax for those three months. You're like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll be recovered in three months. I'll get back to work, but I still have this money to cover my expenses. I don't have to worry about it. So that, and that's something, you know, the wealthy understand, which is why they don't have those words. And the other thing is passive income, it tends to be taxed at a lower rate than earned income. So that's another reason to go for passive income because right. you have a lower tax rate. So definitely some really great stuff. Listen, Chris, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, it was a real pleasure. You shared a lot of great tips, a lot of great wisdom, a lot of great pieces of advice for you know looking after your money, for managing your money, for you know, uh, the, the power of passive income, a lot of great stuff. So thanks again for being on the show, Chris. And if people want to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to contact you? Yeah, you can go to moneyripples.com. Uh, we got a great site there, lots of info. Um, you can even follow our podcast, the Money Ripples podcast on iTunes, YouTube, wherever you happen to consume these podcasts like this show. Awesome. Thanks again, Chris. I really appreciate it. Have yourself a great day. You too. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you've enjoyed listening, please smash that subscribe button so you don't miss any of our amazing episodes. Please also leave a five-star rating review and have an awesome day.